Science and Wisdom Live is a project of Jamyang London Buddhist Center, a non-profit organization. Please consider supporting us with a donation to help us keep our podcasts and videos free and ad-free. To support us now, please visit our website at scienceandwisdomlive.com. episode is an excerpt of one of our Science and Wisdom Dialogues. To listen to the full recording, please follow the link in the podcast description. I was four years old when my father died. And I saw my father lying, covered with a white sheet, my mother crying, my sisters crying, my brothers crying, all the neighbors and friends coming and crying it was a very upsetting for a 40-year-old child, not knowing what was going on. And so I asked my mother, why father is not speaking and why are you crying? And my mother said, the father is dead. And I said, what is dead? And mother says, everybody dies and then they don't speak and they don't come back. I could not understand the puzzle. And then everybody's sad and everybody crying. So I started to search that very question from age four. Why people die? And what is death? And is there a way to stop people dying? That was the question which led me to meet the monks and ask them this question. Is there a way to stop people dying. And, uh, and monks said that the only way to bring an end to the cycle of birth and death, you have to renounce the world. And I said, I'll do anything and everything to stop people dying and myself dying. That's what I, I was an innocent child. I thought by renouncing the world, I'll stop dying. <clears throat> So that was the kind of trigger. But for nine years, as a monk, I realized <clears throat> that death is only a transformation. It's not the end, it's a transformation. And therefore, the fear of death and the worry of death came to an end. And I said, dying is not a problem anymore. <laughs> dying is as good as being born because birth and death are only a process of transformation and a change, but otherwise life is eternal. And that eternal life will continue forever. And the material form of body and matter will change. And there's no problem. So now I have no fear of death. And so at age 18, I said, there's no need to worry about death. Let's live in the world properly and happily and celebrate life. I was happy. Um, uh, with the austerity and I was happy with all the kind of difficulties of, of physical difficulties but where I found unhappiness when I was 18 years old that um, I was feeling very isolated uh, that's where the unhappiness came I felt that <clears throat> I cannot sort of I, I feel that I'm a superior I'm higher and all the people who are in the world 
are somehow living in a sinful way, in a kind of bad way. Uh, the world is a dirty place, world is a sinful place, world is a trap, world, I have, I'm liberated. And that made me feel kind of bad. And I thought that's very superiority, so complex. And I am uh, freeing myself from the uh, um, sinful world. So how to live in the world with compassion, with love, doing ordinary things, but with a different consciousness. That was the inspiration coming from Mahatma Gandhi that I felt unhappy. And so I decided to leave the monastic order. So you did your big walk. I've, I've read your autobiography too. And I like, um, I, it's a wonderful book, a wonderful book and very exciting too, because it's like you dared to do what seems to be the unthinkable, mm. which is to walk from India to Moscow, Paris, and then over to London, and then to get to, 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 to America to deliver this, these packets of tea and to actually get, get these big nations, the presidents of all these countries, to actually sign the nuclear test ban treaty. It's an incredible thing. Now, your, your guru gave you two, he said he would give you the protection of two things. I think it was to travel without money, and to travel, was it without accepting lifts from anybody? That's right. So that was very brave. Were you frightened? Going through unknown countries, unknown languages, unknown people, going through Muslim countries, Christian countries, communist countries, capitalist countries, mountains, deserts, snow, yes. rain, uh, and going without money and being vegetarian and, and walking, it was... It was um, challenging. But then what I said to myself, the stop thinking about uh, next um, day even, or next country even, just live by the moment. And every moment became very different. Because when you worry, you anticipate problems. But when you stop worrying and don't anticipate problems, when if the problem comes, it's not so big because you have imagination, you have resilience, you have compassion, you have a creativity, you can solve the problems. No problem is big enough which cannot be solved by human um, imagination and human courage and human creativity. And so I stopped thinking about unknown countries, unknown languages. How am I going to survive tomorrow? I said, what is happening today? And today, every day was amazing. People were giving me food. People were giving me shelter. People were giving me hospitality. And so I was every day amazed. <clears throat> and even if sometimes I did not get the food, then I said, oh, this is a good opportunity to fast. But as a monk, I, was, I knew how to fast. Uh, I ate only once a day, but even if I have to go without food for 24 hours or 48 hours, so what? So I'm prepared to fast. So I took that opportunity uh, as a fast. And then if I had to sleep under the stars uh, outdoor um, in the desert where there are no villages and, and in the mountains there are no villages, you have to walk and walk and walk and nothing there, no habitat. So I said, I'm sleeping under the stars. And since my million star hotel, who cares for five star hotel? And so taking that, um, I mean, taking problems with a positive spirit and accepting them like as a monk, 
I accepted hardship and austerity. So in the same way, I was trained to accept hardship and austerity, even when I was walking around the world. Have you got any answer to what can stop people just grabbing things by force for what they want? How can how can we get this? You know, it's a kind of a desperation. Often the country is hungry and they think if they grab the next country, they can get the food that they want from the next country. Yeah. This is a now, Vicky, there are two answers to that question. Number one answer is, of course, human psychology, human nature is a mixture of love and hate, violence and nonviolence love and hate together. So we are a mixture. Like in the garden, you have a garden which is a mixture of weeds, flowers, herbs, vegetables. Always there'll be weeds. But what attention do you put on? Do you put and cultivate more weeds or do you cultivate flowers, herbs, vegetables and fruit? So we are gardeners of life. Of course, there is a violence in our psyche, but we always diminish and discourage as much as we can, like we discourage weeds and put the weeds on the compost so that that become again soil. But we cultivate and encourage and water and compost fruit and vegetables and flowers. In the same way, in our mind, in our psyche, we have love, we have compassion, we have a kindness, we have generosity, we want to help each other. And millions and millions of people in the world are helping each other. They are, mothers are looking after children, teachers are looking after children, um, pupils, uh, doctors are looking after patients, nurses are looking after ill people. Um, uh, uh, millions and millions of farmers are growing food to feed other people. Millions and millions of artists and craft people are. So there's not just violence, as you said, it is there, of course it is there, but that is not the only ruling factor. Non-violence, like we grow fruit and vegetables and flowers and grain and rice and, and wheat and so on. In the same way, we have love and compassion in our heart. So that's the one answer. The second answer is we are evolving. Human mind, human consciousness is evolving as we have evolving technology. We have evolving uh, science. We have evolving literature, language. In the same way, we are also evolving in our consciousness. And we, at the moment, of course, Ukraine war is going on. But if you look at the history, in the history, there were colonialism, imperialism, racism, apartheid, sexism, Berlin Wall, First World War, Second World War. Now, less sexism, less racism, less Berlin Wall, less um, world wars. There were small wars happening, but we are evolving and more, more European people say, we don't want any war. And, and Ukraine and Russia in the end has to come and settle their problems by negotiation. They cannot win war. America cannot, could not win war in Vietnam. America could not win war in Iraq. America could not win war in Afghanistan. In spite of millions and billions of dollars spending on armaments and nuclear weapons and Pentagon, they are useless. They could not win a, a tiny country like Afghanistan. What hope there is for any country to win any war? War has become useless. 
futile, unnecessary. So we have to evolve our consciousness. We have to get wisdom. We have to understand that war cannot win. So Russia is stupid. Ukraine is stupid. Both of them are stupid. They think they can solve problems by killing each other, making millions of refugees. So stupid. So we have to grow up. And that is why my, my message of nonviolence is. The third point I want to make is like doctors take an oath, Hippocratic oath of doing no harm. Politicians, industrialists, business leaders, scientists, teachers, everybody should take a Hippocratic oath. Say, first, do no harm. Doing harm is no good to anybody. If we don't evolve in that and all this education in Harvard and Cambridge, and Oxford and Yale and all the university education is useless if you are just being so stupid to kill each other and think that you can win the war and you can solve the problem by killing each other and spending money on armaments. That's stupidity. So I am very passionate about nonviolence, about peace and about love and about compassion. You have a love affair with nature and the land. This is very clear from your books and how you speak and and Schumacher, you know, small is beautiful and all of that. And so you have, a, you seem to feel that humans can be almost redeemed by nature and that nature and spirituality are one. I wonder if you, I've, I've written a little note here that do you think that union with the divine is possible through nature? Yes. Simple answer is yes. Because... <laughs> Nature is divine. According to our Hindu philosophy, God and nature are not separate. God or Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, Isha is in nature. And nature is our teacher. Look at the soil. Soil, earth, is so forgiving. Even the Buddha, when Rahul, his son, asked the Buddha, Father, you are the world teacher. Who is your teacher? Buddha touched the earth, called Bhumi Sparsh Buddha, touch the earth posture. Mm -hmm. And he said to his son Rahul, earth is my teacher. Soil is my teacher. Earth and soil are so forgiving. We dig it, we tread on it, we build on it. And yet when we put one seed in the ground, it gives you thousand fruit of apples or oranges or bananas or grain. So earth is generous and earth gives its love and compassion unconditionally. Earth and soil never says that I will only feed the saints and good people and not the sin sinners and not the criminals and not the prisoners. No, earth will feed everybody. Earth goes beyond right and wrong, beyond good and bad, beyond saint and sinner. Everybody undiscriminating without any judgment, everybody is fed by earth. Are you prepared to be as kind and compassionate to everybody? That's what Buddha said to Rahul. Mm. So earth is our teacher, earth is our spiritual guide. Same as with water. Water does not discriminate between a saint and a sinner or poet and a prisoner or priest and a, and a, and a prisoner. Everybody is able to quench their thirst with water. So we can learn from nature. And nature is divine. Uh, God is not separate somewhere behind the clouds um, controlling the world or created the world in seven, six days and rested on the seventh day. That is a nice, nice story. Uh, and uh, stories are beautiful. I'm not against stories, but 
ultimately, uh, nature is sacred. Nature is divine. And we are nature. Nature and humans are not separate. And humans are not about nature. We are made of earth, air, fire, water, and consciousness. And, and trees have, are also made of earth, air, fire, water, and consciousness. Nature is alive. Nature is uh, intelligent. Nature has consciousness. So we have to revere nature. See why I call reverential ecology. Not only deep ecology, but reverential ecology. At the moment, humanity has turned nature into a resource for the economy. That is a total mistake. Nature is not simply a resource for the economy. Nature is a source of life itself. So we have to respect nature and love nature and be one with nature, protect nature, conserve nature, because we are nature. What we do to nature, we do to ourselves. If we destroy nature, we are destroying ourselves. If we cut the branch upon which we are sitting, we are going to fall down. And the nature is the branch upon which we are sitting. We, serve, we depend on nature. Our food, our clothes, our houses, our medicine, everything comes from nature. How can we destroy nature? How can we pollute our rivers with sewage? How can we pollute our oceans with plastic? How can we pollute our soil with chemicals and fertilizers? How can we put greenhouse gases in the atmosphere? That is all sin against nature. So nature is our true religion. Nature is our true teacher, our spiritual guide. We must re re revere nature and live in harmony with nature.